Hi, this is Terry from Dramora, and you're listening to KFMP Misery Point Radio. another bowel loosening episode of the misery point radio show as always i appreciate you taking on those never-ending radiant quests and equipping yourselves to forge ahead and join me here in the wasteland i am of course the host of this runaway bullet train speeding uncontrollably towards metal salvation you can call me mike I, I know I don't really have a cool DJ nickname or anything like that. At least any that I want to share with you, but I'm still working through therapy on that one. So let's move on before I trigger myself anymore. Joining me today, once again on the show, is Terry Paulson from Seattle's own Dramora, an absolute Daedric demon of progressive metal awesomeness. Now, I first met Terry a couple of years ago when I traveled up to his neck of the woods to interview him when Dramora was still in its early stages and was taking the metal scene by storm. And in the two and a half years since then, the band has found itself in a state of what we'll call refocus, emerging from a brief hiatus with renewed energy, a slimmed down lineup, a ton of raw aggression, and some killer new music. Terry and I picked up right where we left off, discussing the tightening of the band's concept, the decision to pull their old music from online platforms, the challenges they faced with identity and sonic cohesion, and of course, their latest single, Sick Sad World, which now serves as a hallmark and a true representation of what the band is currently putting forth into the universe. And don't worry your pretty little heads, there are, as always, some absolutely horrendous detours down the usual inappropriate rabbit holes that you've all come to know and love and expect out of me, and I wouldn't expect anything less out of you. So, put on that Daedric armor, summon that trusty Shadowmere mount, and gear up for an epic journey through the legendary realms of Pacific Northwest metal awesomeness. Check it out. Hey, Terry, welcome back to the show, brother. It's been a very long time. Stoked to have the opportunity to talk with you again. Thanks for taking the time. Yeah, thanks, Mike. Thanks for having me on. You know, uh, it has been quite a while since we talked, so I'm sure we got plenty to talk about. <laughs> Definitely plenty to talk about. And you've got you've got a new a new single which just dropped here, uh, which is uh, apparently doing pretty well already. You guys have always just kind of had that immediate kind of since you your your inception really your singles have always kind of taken off on the listens. Um, but you've also got a little bit of, um, you know, kind of, I don't want to say a format switch, but a little bit of, I think, a refocus on what you're doing. That's a so, good word. I've never even used that, but that sounds more correct. It's yeah, not I like mean, anything's, we're not changing genres or something, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, and I, I find that, especially, you know, after, you know, all, all the BS with COVID and just kind of all the, I think, people meeting people and projects starting out with one direction and moving into a different direction and just getting different people involved sometimes those of us that maybe start projects want to say hey listen uh, I, I appreciate everybody's contributions and I want this to be kind of democratic and I want everybody to feel appreciated and valued but sometimes that initial core concept just kind of starts to grow lots of arms and legs and before you know it it's not what you set out to do and so 
Um, you know, I did see kind of a cool little explainer video that you had recently done saying, hey, listen, you know, a lot of you guys were asking questions about what's going on with the band. So let's just kind of let's just kind of start there since the last time we talked, what's been going on and, you know, what's happening now? Since then, and I would say that's like 2020. Yeah, 2020. Um, with that, we put out an EP first. And the reason that that EP was released um, and put out in the very first place is because right away I stumbled and tripped onto an opportunity to do a tour with Head PE and Dropout Kings. And so then I was like, oh crap, I need to have something to show to the people that we are going to be playing for. So I have some way to capitalize on this opportunity, right? Yeah. And so I wasn't expecting that. We, I thought we were going to take a little more time get more songs, do a full album and all this kind of stuff. But then that got released and kind of how I felt about it was like, there was one good song on it. And I thought that was guilt. I thought that out of the whole thing, that was the one that I liked. And it's the only one that was like even remotely finished the rest of them. Even the one that was chosen as the single, they sort of just were underdeveloped. You know, they were just in my opinion, still now, like if I went back, there's parts that would be removed and it was kind of like that. So it was like, it was like really unsatisfying to release that material. So then the next thing that happened is I got another opportunity to do a similar thing. And then I don't know, we had, I was just the guitar player at the time and I was like the, the main songwriter and like kind of the manager and all that sort of stuff. But what, was going on is I had a vocalist who had a very strong kind of deathcore ability. We'll just yeah. say, you know, like that was what he had to offer. That was good. It was really good. He really didn't have a lot of other things in the bag. And that being kind of the, what I didn't know. I mean, I didn't know which way the band was going to go. So I was like, you know what, let's lean into that. And so I started writing more for that. And also for, you know, kind of the other musicians in the band, we talked about it and we we're like, yeah, let's just, let's try to lean into that because I like that type of music. It wasn't contrived. It was just, it was like, I could do that too. Yeah. Hell yeah. I'd love to play some songs that have breakdowns and cool, you know, evil riffs and stuff. Yeah. So we wrote some stuff like that and Death Rectangle came out, that whole album. Again, rushed, completely rushed. There's like half the album was underdeveloped. And it was just put out so we could like sell something on a tour. Sure. At the time, I like just was like feeding myself this like, it's okay. Who cares? You know what I mean? After two times of doing that, it will not ever happen again. So <laughs> I just can't, I can't believe that like I would listen back to that like a year or two later and go like, God, I, if I just had another few months to sit with this. And come back to it, I would have changed so much and done so much differently. And, and the songs would have been better, in my opinion. Whether they people would have thought they were better or not, I, I'm not really writing any of this stuff for the enjoyment of everyone else. And if people enjoy it, that's fantastic. But in the, at the end of the day, like even with the th you know anything you do, it's creative. Like your radio station, you know, you put a lot of work into these things. You know, I mean, this is your this is a part of your life. So if you really care about it, you have to like it. You have yeah. to like the way it is. You have to enjoy doing it and you have to be at the end of the day, because 
people are going to be mean, whether <laughs> it's good or not. You know what I mean? And we know I that. Do. I know that from being a musician. You know what yeah. I mean? They're going to talk. They're going to talk smack. Okay. They're going to get out there and people are going to crush you. Yeah. So you need to be able to stand by that thing and go, I like it. And I think it's fantastic. And I did the very best that I could do. If I can't do that, you're never going to hear a song ever again. So that is what's going on now. I wouldn't say there was any real focus to change anything other than that vocalist, things did not work out. And he left. There was a moment in time where we were like, are we going to find a new vocalist? And kind of me and the band talked and they were like, why don't you just do it? You could, you know, and I was like, okay. So I tried. We did a couple songs at that practice and we were like, okay, I guess this could work. You know what and I mean? You were and doing, you were doing cleans, right? I was like, doing some stuff and backups, so it wasn't like complete. I mean, the the guys had already heard me do stuff. Yeah, you know, um, it was just kind of like doing whole songs with such kind of contrary, you know, rhythms. Is right. you know, it's like the playing Holy Wars. You know, I always wondered when I was a kid, like, how's he doing that? <laughs> how's he playing Holy Wars <laughs> and doing the vocals? You know, yeah, um, but yeah. Or listen to a death song and, and listen to Chuck do any of those songs and do the vocals. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's the kind of stuff I'm talking about. So like some of these songs, like especially the one that just came out, there's a lot of more effort for on my part to, first of all, never allow it to be something where I write a song and then make the lyrics easy, quote unquote, so that I don't have to be as stressed on stage. I just need to come at it from, okay, I wrote this as a guitar player and I'm going to make it whatever it's going to be, difficult or not. Sometimes it's not difficult. It's just whatever the song needs. But yeah. I can't stop it from being difficult if it needs to be. And then on the other end, I can't go into writing lyrics and uh, be like, okay, well, these parts are going to be hard against each other and then like make it easier. It's just got to be whatever comes out. And then at the end, I have to learn it. And that's been the biggest thing. But in the end, they're still singing, just like there was before. There's still you know, harsh vocals, although they're not. I don't do the deathcore vocals. It's more of like a screamy kind yeah. of thing. Um, I mean, I was a, I'm a child of like the early 2000s, really. So like, you know, uh, Shadows Fall, um, Soil Work was humongous influence on me in Flames. Even like Cradle of Filth and Dumu. Yeah. And those kinds of things from back in the day and Slipknot in their early days, those were like, those are the kind of screams that like still to this day, like refused. Totally, dude. Yeah. I just found this. You just said that and I don't want to derail your story, no, 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 but I literally just found this at a record store here down the road from my house the other day right. and I about shit my pants. Uh, $2, motherfucker. $2, $2. yeah, totally. Dude, I found a whole <laughs> gang of CDs the other day at Half Price Books for like a buck a piece oh, that yeah. were like $20 with a DVD and stuff inside of them. But yeah, anyways, totally, man. And then, uh, you know, on the other end of that spectrum, I feel like I've had, like some people consider their formative years or like, you know, most people do think it's like your 12 to 15 year old person. Sure. But I feel like I've had like three or four of them where I shed the old stuff, didn't care about it, and then was like obsessed with something again in my 20s and obsessed with something in my early 30s. And so I don't know how that works for me, but I will just, I'm going to go through it again probably. But I know there was like, the band Sicketh was huge, blew my mind. You know, it was in, in Gorod, 
and bands that were like progressive, but in a really dark, you know, you know, when people think about progressive metal, I think we we think about this like kind of power metal vibe, right? But really, just off rhythms and and really good musicians, almost like jazz in a way, where it's mm. palatable to some degree, even though it's too complicated for like a normie kind of person to enjoy. Yeah, these other bands were now bringing this dark, really brutal sounding concepts and notes and dissonance into the progressive world. And I credit Sicketh for like. People think it's periphery or monuments. I think Sicketh was predated that. Yeah. And really was the first band, like that bland street bloom. If anyone is listening to this, you don't know who I'm talking about. Came out in like 2006, 2007. There's some English dudes and they just kill. The whole album is kill. It's super weird vocals, super dark. The guitar playing is incredible. The drumming is incredible. It's so good. And it's like the precursor to the age that we're in now, which is gent. But at the time it wasn't, there was no word for it. You know what I mean? I mean, yeah. Mashuga did, I guess, coin it by saying that's the sound our guitars make. Gent, yeah. gent, 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 right? Gent. <laughs> but yeah, it's, we weren't calling it that. I just was like, this is insane. Whatever this is, this, this crazy new metal. Um, but so anyways, that's what I'm trying to hit. That's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to like, I like to just let my influences come back out no matter what they are. If it you does know, sound nice and pretty, go ahead. It's, oh, man, so articulate. The uh, I think the reality is, though, as as an artist, whether or not it's, you know, musicians or writers or, or, or people that have those creative elements, most of us look back on the early stuff and just cringe, just like, ah, you know, yeah. it, it, and, <laughs> and we're never happy. Like you, you strive for a moment in time that reflects who you are. But then it's always who you are at that moment in time. So when you look at it from another moment in time, you've either grown into something else or you've regressed into something else. Sure, but I, yeah, totally. I kind of feel like it's it's never it's never quite you know what I want it to be. Now you went you went as far as to physically take material down because you just mm-hmm. you felt strongly enough that that really didn't represent who you were. Sure. And I think we might put that stuff back up eventually because it will be fun to put it back up. Um, But at the moment, I don't see Spotify as anything else than a promotional tool for me. I don't see it as anything. I got like 40,000 streams one year. I got a check for $5. So (laughs) just put that in perspective. If I sold one CD, I made more money. So I'm not dogging on Spotify. It's excellent for a lot of things. And I think promotion is one of the things that it is absolutely fantastic for. It is yeah. makes it so that everyone can listen to your music and you can focus that by kind of putting up what you think is the most important thing. I don't have a record label. I am, you know, in my band, we talk about this and decide what we're going to do. We all talked about that for a few months and then we were like, yeah, let's just do it. Let's get that out of there so that, when someone listens to Six Sad World, they don't go back and listen to something that's so far off of what we, the, a representation we'd like them to hear. And then, you know, for a while, as we're kind of gaining speed on the new material, we'll give them kind of a bed to, you know, I think what we're going to, the plan is to release nine or 10 songs. Um, okay. And that's the name of the album is going to be Six Sad World. So every one of them have the same album cover. That stuff's all done. And 
a lot of these songs are done. There's a few stragglers that are need to be completed, but we're going to release them single by single by single by single. They all belong together. We could just release an album and whatever, but I think that's just not a very smart thing to do in this time, you know, because it, you just need content anyways. You might as well use the stuff you're working on and having a song to release every, you know, month or something is a smart way to do that. I think it's a smart way to do it in uh, in my daily conversations that I have with with artists. It, that really is not even just a personal preference anymore. That that really is kind of where the industry has landed. And in the age of everybody now being a digital content creator, you know, the best way to kind of keep your engagement going is to have something new to show somebody on a perpetual basis something always has to be coming out and so releasing entire albums as much as i love entire albums and i'm still a whore for physical format um a lot of times you know you got your release window and then the artists kind of just disappear into the shadows for a while until two or three years down the road maybe something happens or in some cases 10 years down the road 20 years down the road 30 years down the road totally dude that just totally happened yeah yeah and you uh, personally, and Dramora, you guys really have kind of just been good about releasing singles and content and kind of sporadic things. So I think this is pretty at the risk of sounding corporate. It's pretty on brand for for what you've sure. been doing. Um, but I, I definitely so listening to Six Sad World. Let's just talk about this then. Sure. So there's definitely, you know, if I go back and listening to, uh, you know, Awaken, for instance, which clearly is is one of those uh, pieces of work that right now you're 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 kind of moving away from there is well, a there definite, might be just to stop there might be we might be taking a song or two off of that and putting oh, it on the six side I so really anyways, like go ahead. that i do really <laughs> like that EP. we're gonna re-record it so it's a little bit more <sighs> the way it's supposed to be i think but go ahead Great. there are some good songs on there but i listen to six sad world and i, I look at the level of I, I hate to use the word polish because sometimes that turns people off but it's <laughs> like it's really it's got like a, a very tight percussive feel to it and, you know, rhythmically, it's tight, you know, down-tuned awesomeness, of course. Um, but it's just, it's got, it's got a different vibe to it. It feels really, really thought out. And kind of a, a longer song, I think, mm-hmm. than what your average Dramora song would be. Uh, a fantastic solo leading into a, just a really awesome clean break that I that I like a lot. So there's kind of a lot of paradigm shifting going on, you know, with with that particular song. And if that's indicative of the direction, then I, I think that that's that's amazing because I, I immediately upon hearing that was like, oh, this is next level for you guys. Wow, that's really cool to hear. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> we I've been sitting on that song in one form or another because it you know it's been a in a computer getting changed around for <laughs> two years something it was it was going to end up on death rectangle right. in 2021 and uh i was like no again my experience was i messed up by rushing these so i'm gonna sit on these and i'm gonna pull this up in a few months and listen to it again and see where it takes me and i think some people would would argue that that is a very poor way to do things because you're spending too much time on a product and you're going to ruin it or something like that. But it's not like I'm sitting there every day for two months. It's like it, I th- sometimes you just need to come back with mm. the ears of a listener, in my opinion, and go, yeah. I'm too deep in this right now. I'm spending too much time on granular, stupid stuff. I need to come back fresh 
and give this thing what it deserves, which is my full creative attention and my my energy, my excited energy to create something. Not oh, this part needs another thing in it, and this needs another. Like as soon as I start doing that kind of stuff, I kind of just go, okay, I need to do something else, and I'll just pull up another song or something. But yeah, that song basically is supposed to showcase everything that we want to do. It's got all the stuff that's you know I think. If someone heard Death Rectangle, the song, for example, and you liked that song, okay? If I showed you another song that had clean vocals and a nice uh, guitar solo with minor pentatonic arpeggios and things like that in there, you might go, what the fuck is this? This sounds nothing like that. And that's why I'm not, I just don't, you know, maybe someday I'll make a whole band that's just deathcore so I can get it out somewhere. But I don't think it's fair to the people who like that or like Six Sad World to just confuse the crap out of them by giving like such juxtaposition. You know what I mean? So we wanted to, I wanted to put everything that I think Dramora could do, you know, sonically right now in that. Give it a very nice, clean, progressive, clean part. Give it some really good, like that 90s kind of vibe and some of the choruses and some of the things with the singing and give it those melodies that are that remind me a lot of like 1996. That's I mean, when I was a kid, it's just like a lot of that stuff's in there. And yeah, like the ending, you know, I always wanted to do like a Tom Morello type thing. And I had all these riffs, but I was like, how could I fit that into this death metal stuff? You know what I mean? But I found a way, I think, and I, I, when I listen to it, it, that part puts a smile on my face still. It's my song, and I should hate it, but <laughs> for the amount of times I've heard it, but it, if I ever hear it and it's on, um, and I hear that last part come on, where it's like, woo, and like the big, and the big part comes, I go, it fits. It, yeah. It's like, great. It's a great ending. Um, so I just was like, I want to be as creative as I can in this. And a lot of the other songs, you know, there's going to be more straightforward songs on there. There might be some songs that are a little weirder, but they definitely, there's no constraints anymore. It's not like this is going to be the hit, so it can't have a solo. This is going to be a, this. This is going to be the progressive song, so it can't have a chorus. It's just whatever happens, happens. And like you noticed, probably, song's a lot longer. Yeah. If I really cared about people listening to it, you know, some pop radio station playing it and we were in that era or something, have I'd have to chop like a minute and a half or yeah. two minutes off that and like focus on it. But I'm not ever going to do that again because I think that's unfair. I, I also think that it's insulting to the people who are listening to our music, you and I, and everyone who likes this music, to think that they are stupid and not intelligent and they don't have an attention span. That is not true about everybody and just because there's people on the internet who don't have a attention span and that's the people that everyone wants to talk about, Mike, they said that about my generation, about Beavis and Butthead. They said, these kids are stupid. <laughs> Their attention span is getting lower. And there I was listening to 2112, my dad's records. I loved it. Listening to Tool and not ever skipping a song, listening to the very end. And the, mm. we had, in my generation, we had secret songs. Where like sometimes you would leave it on for seven minutes and a song would come on at the end yeah. of the CD. But yeah, our attention spans in my friend group was not short. We loved long songs. We loved when the song went to eight minutes and had a long intro and a big long guitar solo and the theme and stuff. 
So I don't think that that's true. I'm sure there is always going to be a mix of humans out there and some of them will have short attention spans and they won't like my music. <laughs> but I'm sure there's a lot of people out that are like me and they want stuff that is genuine for one and doesn't feel contrived and feels like an expression so they can connect with it. But also something that gives them something to bite onto. It's got a lot in there, you know? Yeah. And I, that's what I would like to think that some of this content is going to be. There's also the other side of me that likes a three-minute song. <laughs> so, I mean, I like I like pop music. I mean, I like radio music just as much as I sure. like, you know, really heavy, brutal music. And yeah. maybe that's, I think that's pretty normal. Most of us have an eclectic taste. So there's going to be something like that in there. Then there's going to be something like Six Side Worlds. So hopefully there's a mix and, and hopefully people like that. <laughs> you know, I'm a I'm a huge fan of, you know, the, the long compositions. And, you know, I have this conversation a lot with people. But for instance, you know, And Justice for All is an album that people still love to shit on. But it happens to be actually be my favorite Metallica album because it's so intricate and so goddamn technical. But the songs are long and you do have to pay attention to them. But I would go listen to that and then immediately turn around and listen to like Rain and Blood where all the songs are, you know, two and a half, three minutes and you get two amazing heavy albums that are iconic with completely different takes on what it means to be thrash or what it means to be metal. And and, um, and that just to me perfectly illustrates that you can have multiple ideas within the same framework and and still you know, elicit different emotions and different, you know, kind of uh, responses from people. And so I, I think kind of what you're doing right now from, from what little I've heard of your, your current new stuff, um, it's definitely taking a lot of those technical pieces that you have really kind of grown into, I think, and you're finding better ways to put them in there without them being so like, I don't know, showboaty, you know, like, woohoo, look at me now. I could tap sure. on the fingerboard, you know, we're, <laughs> You know, the musical wankery, I call it, which is great in some cases and other people just don't do it right. And then you just kind of like, eh, you know, whatever. But like, you know, for you starting out just like with a really cool kind of a tapping intro and then boom, hitting into a heavy rhythm right off the top. That's a perfect use of that kind of a technique because it says I've got some chops I can show off, but I'm not trying to slap you in the face with it. Yeah, well, that's very nice to say. I mean, I didn't really think about it that way, but it's funny because. I just didn't want to start. I, di I didn't want it to start with like, the, I don't know. The, the first idea that was tossed around was that we we're going to have this like. No offense to anybody who does this, OK, because some <laughs> of these some of these songs slap and I listen to them. OK, but a filtered intro where it's got the riff going bad, but that, but bad, but that. But it's like, you know, it starts off in like the telephone and then like that, you know, that was kind of an idea. Yeah, the EQ sweep. Or to have like a like a low EQ and then bring it in, just play the riff. And I was like, you know, that's all lame. I'm so sick of doing stuff like that. I was like, you know what? Let's just make it abrupt and like shock the people right yeah. off the bat with this dissonant atonal thing. Because, you know what I mean? Like, I just don't know of a better way for, for like, when we play it live, people go like, like, I can see people going like, what was that? That noise that was just made. And I think it's perfect because now you got I got your attention. Now we're going to play a kind of, you know, and that polyrhythm that's in that song for that riff is very sneakily something that I think that anybody, even if you didn't know how to count rhythms or anything, 
you are not going to be thrown off by that. And that was, a, that was a huge goal of mine is to put in things that are extremely complicated to me, but it not translate that way to the people who are listening to it. Because I don't think that that's advantageous to have something that people cannot connect with. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't like it when people do that. When I see local bands that are trying to be Mashuga, but they can't quite do that thing. Like Mashuga, they're the masters of that thing. And, and really the first band I ever heard do something that I could not understand, but like it didn't bother me. It's like, well, I don't care. It's still, it's still good. I can still bob my head to this. But yeah, I don't understand what's going on. And that's trying to tap into that a little bit too. So, Yeah, absolutely. I say we tap into that right now and give you all a taste of what Terry and I have been rambling on about. So here it is, the latest single from Jamora. Is it a Daria reference? I have no idea. But I do know that this song absolutely fucking rips. Here it is, Sick, Sad World. Check it. Yeah, every day I wake up. Read the fucking draft I'll shoot the spirit for Sunday Please wake me up From this fucking nightmare Take a look around It's like I got a fucking gun I'll kiss my head The walls are closing in It's like it's being forced into me 
so you mentioned that you're kind of a product of like the 2000s and late 90s. So I'm just a, a little uh, going back a little bit earlier than that. So I'm kind of more of a musical product of like the late 80s, early 90s. That's kind of like my my sweet spot. Also during that time frame. So you had the extreme metal was kind of really birthing and then evolving into different directions. There was also the age of like the the GIT guys, the Musicians Institute guys <laughs> who were all about just like flash and just crazy stuff. And it's like, the t- and I love a lot of that stuff too, but you know, the technical ability thing where it's just so goddamn complicated and you're like, dude, just write a song I can sing to. Just, just give me something I can hum along to. It's great that you can do all that stuff. I'm not going to remember it in five minutes, except for the fact that goddamn that guy played something super fast, but I can't like, I can't reproduce it in my head. I just have to listen to it and listen to it and listen to it to appreciate it. But I can't go to my friend Joe and say, dude, how about that part where he went like, oh man, that's great. You know, that, that, that kind of stuff. I do like it, but now I like it when it's done like in, you know, like a really small, quick phrase is kind of an accent as opposed to the, the main body of a song that's, you know, playing it. 300 fucking bpms and they're shredding so fast that you can't <laughs> sure. you can't even you know make one phrase to the next it's like there's no riffs it's all solos and like mm-hmm. i need i need some diversity in my music to to kind of break up the monotony you know yeah and i that, feel that really hard and um yeah it kind of touch back on that so when i was six seven years old my dad was into not like extreme metal, but he was into like heavier stuff. And I remember him getting, um, he was into Helmet. I'm sure you know who yeah. that is. And that was one of the first bands where I ever heard someone who I thought could sing so beautifully. I mean, you, you think what you want about Paige Hamilton. But I thought when his voice, when he could like, when he would sing, it would be so beautiful. And he would play these really catchy things. And I would, you'd be so into it. And I'd be like, God, this is such, why aren't they famous? And then you'd figure out why, because like some way into the song, he would like almost intentionally disrupt all of the beauty with these like really terrible sounding things (laughs) on purpose almost as if to be like, I don't want this to be famous. Yeah. And like, I know I could be or something, you know what I mean? And they still prevailed even through that. And that album, Meantime, is it's probably the only album of theirs that where they don't do a bunch of weird stuff. Like Strap It On before that and then Betty kind of after Meantime. Those are really crazy albums that have extremely catchy things in them. But that early 90s stuff, I mean, is gold. All of it to me. Like, And I still listen to, I mean, a lot of people don't think it's the greatest album. I love Countdown to Extinction. Yeah. I think that's probably one of my favorite eras of Marty Friedman. Um, I still Speaking play those GIT solos. Guys. So, but yeah, who, he's an example, <laughs> though, of someone who, especially in that era and for his age, yeah. was able to play something that I could sing. Yeah. I mean, I could sing those solos, man. Like they were so good and they were so catchy. And it was like another little song inside of a song, yeah. like an ornament on a tree. You know, instead of being like this, I'm just going to play a bunch of notes. It was melodic. It had mm. like really good sounds to it. And he did lots of different techniques that if you were a guitar player, you'd be like, that guy's incredible. Yeah. If you weren't a guitar player, you'd be like, that was a cool sounding solo. It just was it's magical, you know. And that was a lot of influence on me 
when I was just starting to play the guitar, I was like, that's what you should do. Dimebag Daryl was fantastic at it too. Um, just, you know, like I said, making another little thing inside of a thing that was just as catchy as the song, but it was a solo. Like everyone can can hum that solo to walk, I think. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Especially that last part. It's like, you know, it's like, it's <laughs> it's so catchy. And that song is just a couple notes and it's so catchy. Yeah. But yeah, those are perfect. You know, those times where it was really starting to like where extreme music was starting. To, people, you know, who weren't extreme music fans were starting to go like, I I guess this could be on the radio, you know, yeah. <laughs> this stuff was screaming and, and heavy guitars. It was like making a big shift. And I mean, kids now um, really don't understand that if you, if you were a screamer and if there was someone screaming in your band, you weren't going to ever be on the radio. You just basically, in everyone's opinion, you would just shot yourself in the foot. You know what yeah. I mean? Why don't you sing? I heard a million Man, times. Man, so many times I heard that when I was playing in death metal bands in the 90s. Dude. But yeah, now kids are like, yeah, that scream was cool. This one's a little different. I kind of like this. And they're like connoisseurs of these like different screams, you know what I mean? Which I think is so cool. Yeah. Uh, because I think it's it's stupid that it was so rejected when I was a kid. But yeah, it's it's like people who paved the way, which no one likes Phil and Selmo anymore. But he kind of paved the way in a lot of ways for everyone else. He kind of kicked that door down for everyone else to get a chance to be a screamer in a popular band. Yeah. And now it's the kind of stuff's on the radio, you know? I mean? And it's so, not only is it on the radio, it's it's fairly prevalent. It's it's there it's insanely a lot. Yeah. People expect it to happen. So Yeah. You know, Pantera was one of those bands that I I kind of loved to hate and hated to love. Totally. And you know, that <laughs> early stuff I, I I really liked, you know, that fucking chuggy, groovy fucking you know. Just so much awesome backbeat. And, you know, Phil's voice, I, I think, is one of the most imitated voices out there in the world right now. And probably even for some people unintentionally who don't even really know who he is. A lot of the newer people don't really know who he is. It's, it blows my mind. But, yeah, that voice uh, and that that guitar is just so iconic. And, uh, you know, I remember playing in a cover band and uh, doing uh, Pantera songs and like, ah, this is just... and. All the other stuff we did, the Pantera stuff always got people moving. And uh, yeah, there's just something about their energy and the way they composed and the way that they it was just so tight, whether or not it was like a really open chord kind of a riff or just like a nice fucking muted staccato, you know, kind of a thing. They just they nailed it every time. Yeah, I think it's really, again, a lot of influence on our on the whole generation and then you just you touched on something that i've always thought was interesting that uh, kids reject and even uh, some people in bands i've been in that are just a little bit younger than me how mm. uh, they really reject it they almost are like you're you're fucking crazy for saying this but when i hear riffs now and i i have the benefit of hearing riffs before and after the extreme popularity of dimebag daryl and everyone really taking it and copying it because like i think that happened right after like great southern trend kill that's when i really started to notice that like metal bands were starting to do these almost copycat dimebag things and copycat phil and selmo things and it was like your ears would perk up when other bands would do it and you just be like what dude that's just a ripoff you're like a dollar store dimebag daryl you know um and there was lots of people like myself included that noticed that now that that's passed, we're into like the third wave of people who are copying the people that copied a person, in my right. opinion. So like, 
And they don't even know they're doing it. They are crediting a thing that copied the thing two times ago. So they, <laughs> there's no way they could know that. And right. so I don't talk about it ever again. Look up any interview. I've never talked about this, but you touched on it. So it's it's just something that I've it's always fair thought was interesting. It is. It's, it's interesting yeah. to me. It's, it's not something I've ever thought was bad. I think it's fantastic that when I turn on YouTube and there's a popular band, I can hear a dime bag riff almost yeah. every time or a solo that does something that he did or a riff that's like, that's a dime bag riff or, you know, like it's, it's just that way. And, um, you know, someone said that to me about that solo in Six Sad World and I didn't even put that together. Like that sounds a lot like Pantera. And I was like, wow, I didn't really think about it in that way because I don't think Dimebag would ever do a run of minor seven arpeggios like that or sweep pick or do anything like that. the techniques I do, but it must be in there. It must just be in there. And when, I, when, you know, I just hear a couple things and maybe I'm regurgitating little pieces myself, you know what I mean? But, uh, yeah, that's, it's interesting that things can, can transcend without even the generations in front of them knowing that like, you know, Phil and Selmo and Dimebag and Marty and mm. for sure, you know, like Metallica is still famous and they pretty much are, you know, returning to their first form in my opinion. Yeah. With just a much better sound. Um, but yeah, there was a time when people were, were definitely copying James too. And I credit a lot of James Heffield uh, to giving me an example for, for palm muting. Yeah. And songwriting. You know, and probably one of the greatest frontmen of all time, you know, fight me about that. But just <laughs> <laughs> is there's a reason why they're so famous. His personality is infectious. In fact, yeah. all the people in that band are like that. I, and it also it kind of reminds me of, of another thing that I I have been criticized myself for saying. But and I, and I don't mean it to be derogatory, but at some point. Everything is derivative of something else, subconsciously or, or directly, but you hear something, it could be something you heard 10 years ago and then one day you fall asleep and then you wake up and that's, you got a melody in your head and you don't remember where it's from and you morph it into something else. So I, I, I always hesitate to say things like, well, I think you stole this from so-and-so, but you know, I'd be like, sometimes I'll say things like, oh, you know, I hear bits and pieces of this in your song, or I hear, I hear little things like this. Passive aggression. You know. No. <laughs> Something like that. Yeah. You know, um, cause we all hate the labels, you know, we all hate to, to say like, oh, well, if you had to compare yourself to one band, who would it be? You know, totally. like, oh, Terry, you must really love the Deftones, you know? Um, <laughs> so it, it's whatever though. I mean, like, yeah. you're right. It is. Everything becomes derivative of everything. And, and Monet, Painted, painted beautiful paintings, but he was inspired by somebody. And yeah. you know what I mean? It's just it's me. the way it is. Yeah, sure. <laughs> you know what I mean? But it's it's just the way it is. Like, no matter what you're going to do, we're humans. We take yeah. in information and then we scramble that information up, hopefully. And we took a, a little spin on it and we spit it back out. You know, if as long as you're trying to be genuine about that, I think as long as it's more of like an homage. Yeah. And it's like this sounds like that then I'm, I think it's fantastic. I think it's really, really cool. Tim Henson, to me, that guy who's in Polyphia, we all know, um, he is a fantastic guitar player. However, that style of music is not new. I mean, th that's very derivative of a lot of things that were like in the late 80s, to be yeah. totally clear. And it's just, it's kind of revisiting its popularity. It's having a moment again. And I think for, for good reason, 
I love guitar driven music and mm. anytime the guitar driven music like that gets popular, it warms my heart to be yeah. totally honest because every time I think it's going to go away, like when I was a kid, Joe Satriani was a star. Okay. Yeah, for like sure. people who didn't like people, normal people had a Joe Satriani CD in their car. Yeah, and they would listen that to guitarists. People yeah, they would like, have surfing with the alien or flying in a blue dream or something. And you'd be like, God, this is so cool that this guy who isn't even, I mean, there was a few songs he sung on, but those are not the ones we know him for. But like, you know, these people know his guitar playing and they know who he is and such a, a bright personality of that guy and yeah. image. You know, I mean, you can just think in your head and, and you know what he looks like, you know, everything about Joe. Uh, same with Steve Vai, you know, when in the 90s, um, they were stars, dude. They were absolute stars. And, I, you know, that's inspiring still. And then it kind of died. But then people will come and bring it back up. And so I think there was a lot of talk for a while where, who's going to be the next guitar hero? Yeah. <laughs> then this guy shows up. He's handsome. He's charismatic. Everyone likes him. He looks cool. He's got a different take on an old style of music. He's playing fantastic guitar music. It's back. You know what I mean? So now I see all over the internet people imitating him. So it's just everything is derivative of everything. And it's the way things are. It's just yeah. whatever inspires a generation of people, you'll probably see another thing that's like it come out of the other side. And we're just products of that. You and me. You know what yeah. I mean? It's just the way it is. I uh so yeah, like I guess what I'm saying is I'm not dogging on anybody. <laughs> don't don't get a take like that. I think it's great. I just do your thing, man. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I just recently last week got to go and see two of two of my influential uh, bands that influenced me, which was Atheist and Cynic. Um, and those guys were really kind of often credited with with helping to spearhead progressive metal movements. And so to go back and hear those songs by the artists who did it back in the day, it really kind of gives you a sense of nostalgia because you can look at where things are now and then you can now be like, Oh God, this is, this is how it was 30 years ago. Like this shit's 30 plus years old. Right. Dude. And, um, atheist as a prime example with, uh, with Kelly Schaefer, who's the, basically the sole original member, but he surrounded himself with more or less, you know, Berkeley kids, uh, MI kids, you know, and they're playing these songs in his words better than I could have ever played them myself, but they still have the exact as they were played on the album. Uh, maybe just not quite as, you know, quantized and stuff like that. It's all still got a very live feel to it. So he's, he's just like, man, just, you know, from his perspective, playing 30 plus year old songs with people from a different generation has given him the best of both worlds. And I, I just think that's amazing. And, you know, like Cynic uh, and seeing uh, Paul Mazidal play, play these songs, um, you know, who obviously he went on to play with, you know, Death and, and several other amazing bands, but it's just, uh, man, those songs brought me back. And then, so now I'm, I'm here and I'm, I'm hearing all the new stuff, but I just, I keep my brain just like, that reminds me of the stuff from 30 years ago. And it's not the same. It's not being copied or pasted or anything like that, but it just, you hear those things and your ear is drawn to what you knew when you were first getting going, you know, musically or artistically. And I just, I find it funny how, as you said, it just kind of starts to circle back a little bit. Yeah, I think we're just, we're, we do that too. And I think, you know, it's funny that anybody would even, <clears throat> and it, you know, we talked about something, I think, before the interview started that really ties into this. And that is that um, 
pretty much we don't understand how much youth is, you know, and I've heard Alex Skolnick said this <laughs> and I thought it was so, it was like, God, that's, he must've got it from somewhere. I don't know where he got it from, but youth is wasted on the young. Yeah. And I think the the reason that that's so prominent in my mind is because the lack of wisdom does a few really cool things. First of all, it makes you think that you're coming up with brand new things. And so I think that exuded self-confidence of like, I've come up with a brand new thing, everybody. <laughs> Listen to it. Um, really, it blocks out anybody even trying to find the thing that that was derivative of. Yeah. But secondly, the some of the negatives are, um, you know, you don't understand that you need to respect the things that came before it. And it's, people are a lot better about it these days than when I was a kid, but man, it's, it's still there. But yeah, even people who make clothing, they know, okay, well, the next thing that's going to happen is 2005 is going to come back. So we need to get that stuff ready so that we can sell this to the kids because that's what's going to be in style. Yeah. And then everything will come back like that. The music, the jewelry. I mean, there's people wearing those George Michael earrings. What George the Ma fuck is that all about? I don't know. George Michael is handsome. <laughs> Obviously, very important person. Yeah. Um, whatever. You know what I mean? I'm not a fan of George Michael's music or anything. Um, I probably wouldn't even have known who he was if it wasn't for Limp Biscuit. But for sure, like that style, the five o'clock shadow that's like painted on, the dangly earring, the the wire rim gold glasses that like mm -hmm. boys to men and stuff wore when I was a kid. Um, that stuff's all back. So, you know, we're moving forward. Um, and I don't, what's the next thing? It's, you know, it's got to be the 2000s. As much as you probably, if you're younger and listen to this, want to reject that, that's the way things go. Pretty soon you are going to be like a meme of the world. And your <laughs> generation is going to get regurgitated back out in some weird fashion like, these people think they know what people looked like and it's close, but yeah. it's like, it's like a little weirder, bizarre kind of take on the nineties to me, but it's whatever. It's just, the music is the same thing. Art's the same. And you know, all the young generations that come after us, you know, like I said, you know, they're, they're learning from the things that are before them and, and hopefully that never stops because it kind of helps keep everything alive in a way. You know what I mean? It keeps the, the foundation continually coming back up to the top in a way it's it's kind of strange you know yeah you know who else rocked the the five o'clock shadow and the pretty boy look but with a little bit more of a more of a rock and metal edge to it who kip winger oh my god <laughs> had that yeah. had that he also sung rugged... that song about having sex with 17 year old girls that's right yeah mm -hmm. and you know when i was a kid i had a tape that had um a mixtape that was like one of my uncles or something like that. A ton of this glam metal. And I thought Kip Winger was a fantastic guitar player. I, in fact, let's just say he is a fantastic musician all around. Yeah. That song, nobody talks about that. I am super surprised that that song is not something that people are talking about more. Because it's just so blatant. It's like, I, yeah, you're not legal. And I'm going to smash on this. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I, I mean? I think the only thing that kept that from getting to that level you're talking about is he i think came out and did an interview with some damage control and he said yeah but when i wrote that song i was only 18 and it didn't get released for was years. he though i don't know i don't i don't know what's true and what's not i'm guessing that that's probably not entirely she's true too either. young but she's old enough for me right and an 18 year old is saying that yeah 
That that's doesn't what, sound like 18-year-old rhetoric to me. That's what he's saying. Well, I know. Yeah. I got you. We have to take what he's <laughs> saying, you know, because I, I don't know. But definitely the lyrics are creeped out for sure. Mm. You know, it's I don't so like, many songs out there. You can't even ugh. you're like, oh, man, I can't. This is how. And, you know, Steven Tyler, I know we're going down a rabbit hole, guys, but no, you're on totally. Misery Point Radio. This is what we do. Um, Steven Tyler recently came out with a book where he fully acknowledged that he more or less just groomed this girl. Uh, and, uh, she was on like, f- I don't remember the number, like 14, 15, 16, something like that. And he put right. this in his own fucking book, you know, totally. and I'm like, dude, yeah. you're crazy. You are. And Steven Tyler is crazy. I mean, he's fucking off of his rocker, but yeah. I'm, I'm like, sure he's got a lot of brain damage from the late. Oh 70s, man. 80s, you know, he you know what I mean? For sure. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, the industry is <laughs> rife with, uh, improprieties. That is, that is definitely the truth. Uh, needless to say, of course, we won't hear that in any of Dramora's music anytime soon. I'm um, not going to write songs about <laughs> sex pretty much ever because I don't, I don't find myself to be a very sexual human being. You are a sexy, sexy um, beast. No, thank you. Well, you know, uh, I don't feel that way. Um, and I definitely, I think if I was going to write a song like that, it would be so shrouded in metaphor that there's just no way you could figure it out. You yeah, know what I mean? You, like you would I, wouldn't, I wouldn't straight it. up just come out and go, this chick was 16 and I was 21. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it just, it would never happen. I just always thought that was like, even when I was a kid, I was like, what is this dude? Like you're just straight up like, yo, I'm doing this and there's oh. nothing y'all can do. Or I already did this. Here's a guitar riff. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's just so in your face, you know? Um, but yeah, totally. I, I think, Honestly, Those, Dave, Dave Lee Roth also, uh, there's a, I was just watching this, uh, kind of homemade, not homemade. It was well done, but it definitely wasn't like a big company making it. It was a fan and he made a long documentary about Van Halen. And he got lots of good interviews in there. And one of them is with Dave Lee Roth's chosen, um, kind of security. And as we, if you might know, and I heard about even from my parents that, you know, Dave Lee Roth would have this dude, the big dude, go and pick a few women out of the crowd and have him come backstage so he could have sex with them. And he usually would ask that they were underage. He didn't want any old chicks. You oh. know what I mean? Because they probably had herpes, according to him. Anyways, so <laughs> <laughs> young chicks don't have herpes, I guess, according to Dave Not Lee Roth. yet. <laughs> but yeah, so that that's and so here's an even more interesting story. My mother. And she won't care because she tells this story to everyone. She's so proud of it. Okay. <laughs> My Nervous mother, anticipation a, <laughs> right here, folks. <laughs> my mother and her, my Aunt Carol, uh, rest her soul. And uh, I guess if her one of her other sisters, my mom had a bunch of family members, eight brothers and sisters. Okay, so um, they go out to the concert and she's the littlest one. She's like 15, 16, right? And um, she goes to the concert and my mom's very beautiful. Um, she gets picked out of the crowd to go back stage Van Halen at the Van Halen concert. She goes back there and, you know, she's like standing next to Eddie Van Halen and and Eddie doesn't give a shit about any girls. He's just like still got his guitar on. She says (laughs) he's like tapping into this little pig nose amp, smoking cigarettes. He runs out of cigarettes. He talks to my mom goes, Hey, do you got a cigarette? My mom hands him, you know, a cigarette and she's just like nervous and you know, whatever. And she kind of lets the story go dark after that, but I like to think that probably something happened. You know what I mean? I know my Aunt Carol says she was freaking out, and they don't know what happened. But the joke is is that David Lee Roth is my dad because I don't look anything like my dad. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? But, uh, yeah, because, you know, I came out shortly after that. You know, okay. a year after. Nobody really knows. Okay? But, yeah, that's, that's definitely a thing. My mom was underage, and so that's just right in my own family, bro. 
You know what I mean? Like that's Man. stuff that happened then that if that happened for one second now, it would just be all over the internet. Oh, yeah. You know? Like that dude everywhere. The who was the guy from Panic on the No, uh, Blood, uh, Blood on the Dance Floor, I think, who was like grooming like 14 year old girls. And oh, like it was man. like many of them. And, you know, their band was getting like famous, I guess. I don't really know a single song from the band, but they were getting popular. He ruined it. <laughs> and then I think that CJ guy from Lorna Shore, that was a blessing to them, I guess, because he got in trouble for similar sexual things. And then he's out of the band. The band gets that Will Ramos guy and then they blow up. And they blow up. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, goodbye, CJ. But you know what I'm saying? Like <laughs> those kind of things would not happen now because when they do happen, it doesn't take long for them to get out, you know? No, not in not in the age of the internet where it, instantaneous, I mean. And the other flip side of that, bro, that I think is terrible is that one of my favorite bands, Decapitated, they went to Spokane and these two girls had them on trial for rape yeah. where they had these elaborate stories and it turned out it, it wasn't true. turned out to be BS, yeah. It did, but, you know, everyone around me was like, oh, they're fucking rapists, you know? And then they would just say stuff that was terrible, like all Polish men are chauvinistic uh right macho rapists they would do that i'm like what do you know anything about these guys they're sweet people they're very nice i was like everyone who's met them says they're fantastic people i don't think that that's true yeah. <laughs> you know what i mean but the damage control that now they have to do for the rest of their lives you know even though you know it's been put out there how many people know that it's been put out there that they didn't care it's not true yeah they didn't care about that part bro oh, <laughs> so man. yeah but yeah you know kip winger He's just still chilling, probably collecting money off of that song. <laughs> uh, good yeah. for you, Kip. Good for you, Kip. Yeah. Good, good so, yeah, anyways, moving on from that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. No, that's funny. I don't even uh, remember how we got to that point. What happened? <laughs> that was me making bad jokes. Um, good jokes. Good jokes, yes. Anyway, getting now back to uh, getting back home, if we're going to make a sure. reference there. So with your your new stuff, you know, you've illustrated, you've got a plan, you're going to release some singles, you've got enough for an album. Do you do you have a, like an official like, are you going to release on a schedule? Is there anything no. official or is it just like whenever the, the fancy strikes you and the streams kind of start to slow down, then you're going to just hit it up on another one? I think we're just going to play it by ear. And I think yeah. the reason for that is because schedules don't really work anymore. You yeah. have to look at what's going on and go, okay, this is still doing really well. Maybe instead of releasing another song, we should capitalize on it by putting out a music video now. Yeah. You know what I mean? There's different avenues you could take depending on what happens. And I think that that's, that's probably the smarter way to spend your money and time. And again, you know, in a world where, Unfortunately, everything we do is called content instead of art. Or I know, something. right? You know, I'll take it, whatever. Um, but, you know, again, I'm, I'm saying, you know, like, I'm thankful that there's just a, it's a it's, I don't know. It's, it's hard to explain, but it's not really hard to explain. It's easy to understand if you just know one thing. When I, fuck, when I first started doing this and probably when you first started doing stuff, it wasn't too dissimilar. There was no internet, man. Mm. So it was just like you had to tell everyone to their face or get pieces of paper and put them everywhere and or staple them on every guy. Yeah, or try pole. to go to the local college radio and give them your tape or, you know what I mean? Like there was different avenues to do it, but it was it was so much harder mm. to get, to do anything and forget planning singles and stuff. Yeah. Like if you got signed, 
guess who got the, to decide that? The record company. The label so, did, yeah. Yeah, and they basically gave you a huge loan and then you just owed money and yeah, nothing and ever really went over forward. for the rest of your life. Totally, right? And, and even if, and if it didn't do good, that's your fault. So now we have all that control. So I'm yeah. thankful for that. I love the future for that. You know, I'm glad that I'm getting to make music in this generation because now I know that at least my art gets a chance to get to some people that will like it because I get to focus the advertising. I get to talk to, to people on a much broader scale that would, I'd never have conversations with some of these people or get the chance to meet them or anything. But since I can get on the internet and it's going to get shown to a couple thousand people probably at a time, some people are going to go, oh, I like this. You know, they yeah. probably would have never met me before or anything like that. So I think it's cool. And I think it's advantageous to release it that way and play by ear. So, yeah, we got a full album. I think it's going to be cool. I don't know all the content that will be surrounding it. I don't know all the people that will be helping with it. But I'm trying to kind of get back out, do more of this kind of stuff where I'm connecting with the scene and the people like you to care about this stuff because I'm the same way I care about the scene. Yeah. And just get the community. I feel like, like you were saying in the beginning, like there's something happening here and I can feel it. Yeah. I can feel like the community is coming back. And then since I feel that, I feel like it's the best thing to do to, you know, even if it drains me a little bit, which you know that feeling, <laughs> um, <laughs> to just do it anyways. And because I appreciate that that people are making an effort again, it seems like, to create a space for a community. Yeah, for sure. And so I want to be a part of that, you know, and, and uh, that's what I do this for anyways. You know, yeah. I want to be a part of the artistic community that surrounds me and I want us all to connect with each other and, and make cool art, you know, and and keep this going and, and keep the scene alive so that people who want to step in and and take a swing and show us what they got have a place to do that that isn't just, you know, two clubs you know i see more clubs popping up around here and i see more places to play and more places to advertise so i'm excited about you know the next 10 years of our local scene and i i say that between you know tacoma seattle puyallup um and olympia you're up, in like, you're up in the everett area still i'm right? in i'm in what we consider probably the north you know yeah. not the north north bellingham would be as far as you could play a show in washington you know so but yeah Definitely, man. I, I think it's going to be cool. And, and hopefully with this stuff that's coming out, um, people want to play shows with me. <laughs> it yeah. seems like I'm getting invited to play them still. Well, so. and I'm glad you mentioned that because you are you are getting back into the show circuit. I, I've seen some some cool posts and things and I, I have yet to have the opportunity to get out and, and see you play. But when you're playing these shows, then what material are you playing? Um, so we have switched into playing only new stuff. So a lot of it, nobody even knows, but okay. there's, there's reasoning for that. And sure. most of that is that, um, so the two songs that we do play live that you, or you can see are going to be last words, that single that's up there and right. six sad world that is up there. There's going to be another song here in a second that comes out. Um, and the rest of the songs just like with Six Sad World, before we finalize the mix, before we finalize the arrangement. Another really cool thing is we can play it in front of people and see if anybody even connects with it. With Gage Six Sad response. World, yeah. And, you know, like DJs and stuff have been doing this for a million years. I say a million, like, you know, last 30 years. They take something to the club 
and they try it on people. And they yeah, see if people sure. connect with it there and then they go, oh, well, that didn't hit like I thought it would. I'm going to revise it and bring it back. And then when they finally release it, it's like the final form, the thing that works. And I was able to do that with Six Sad Worlds. I've been able to do that with other things and I'm revising them a little bit here and there because again, this isn't a computer. I mean, it's very easy for me to go through and go, okay, well, this part killed the mood. What can I do to make this fun for me the whole way through? Because if, if everyone's not having fun, I'm not having fun either. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? So I'm trying to make a compromise there. It's, it's for me. It's for me to have fun. But if I'm playing it in front of people and it really just that part of the song obviously didn't work or we play it together live and we're continually having issues with playing it or we think the vibe changes because it's, it's one thing to listen to it on a CD. Or yeah. I say CD because I'm old, but it's one thing to listen to it, <laughs> you know, in its recorded form. It's another thing to play it with your homies on stage and go, hey, uh, this didn't feel the way it did on the album when it's in real life. You know, like what is different between these two things? How can we bridge that gap? And so that's what we're doing with some of that stuff. But yeah, it's new stuff. If you come out, you'll hear some of it and it might not be the way that it's going to end up on the album. So maybe that's cool. I don't know, but definitely, <laughs> you know, yeah. Yeah, awesome. So uh, enough material, though, that you've got, you can play comfortably full sets and, uh, you know, try what works and uh, revise that that doesn't. So that's, I'd uh, say we're really, really happy with the set the way it is right now. It's pretty solid. This yeah. is. I think we're going to start adding the last three songs of the album to the set when we get a chance most bands only get about 25 30 minutes in. yeah for sure that's pretty normal so but if you get a longer time than that it's nice to have some stuff prepared so we're getting ready to maybe do another showcase show like we did in march and i don't know where i'll be doing that at but we will be probably doing that sometime in the winter so hopefully we'll have like 45 to an hour of music and then we do our showcase, we can headline it, and we'll have all that music. And hopefully we'll have a, a few more singles out too, so there's more stuff out there for people to check out. Yeah, and uh, the guys that you got playing with you, are, are you currently playing as a three-piece? or We are playing as a three-piece currently. Okay, Yes. awesome. Yeah. And who's and with you right now? I think it's pretty good. Uh, Jared Keneally is the drummer, and formerly of uh, Jesus Wears Armani. They were a band from around the Seattle area. Uh, that has not been around since about 2018 now. Um, and then Jonathan Decker, he just stepped in on bass. Ricky, the previous bass player, left. Um, he basically went on tour a couple times. And I think, I think, you know, he just wanted to, I think he figured out this is just something he doesn't want to do. It's just yeah. kind of like, he was like, I hate doing this. I hate playing <laughs> shows. I, I hate dragging all my equipment all over the place. I hate doing this. And that's kind of what he told me. He's like, I love you guys. I love this band. I like the music a lot. I really believe that it's going to do something. He's just like, I feel like I'm just dragging you guys back. And uh, he's like, I'll play the shows that uh, that are left. And, uh, you know, farewell. And, you know, that's that's all that went on there. And then it's like pretty much immediately I had an inbox with people who wanted to play bass, which is so unheard of. I was just yeah. like, what? So I had all these people who want to play bass. And Jonathan... He's like a he's like a real deal bass player. Not like a no offense to metal bass players. There's some awesome ones out there like Beyond Creation and definitely there's you know what I mean? There's like Evan Brewer, he's been in a bunch of stuff. There's there's good bass players out, but for the most part, for let's sure. be fair, 
and say that most of them are failed guitar players. You know what I mean? And and or guitar players that the band didn't just didn't need another guitar player and they wanted to be in the band. Uh, that's just kind of how that works. And I would say Ricky was more on par with like he was a guitar player who played bass. Still good and did a good job and it all sounded solid and he always did a fantastic job. But the difference when have someone who's like really into the bass. Yeah. It it's been it's been different. It's been like I can and the other thing is he's really knowledgeable about music. And I'm not used to that. Like I couldn't just say to any other band members I've ever had, um, to the bass player, um, I'm playing an F sharp major seven here. So just find an F sharp somewhere in that. I couldn't just do that. I would have to go, this is the fret it is, this is the string it is, and here's the other three places that it is. That's not that's not a problem. I don't mind doing that. Just these are the places that you could play. I don't have to do that. I just say this is a G. I'm playing a G major right here, a G minor. Or this is, you know what I mean? It's like a G add nine or something. Yeah. And he'll go, oh, okay. So he already knows the things he could do. And then we just kind of jam on that and then find the place where he can fit in. That's been a huge thing on these, on these recording, on these, the recordings that are coming up, he's going to be on them. I'm pretty sure he wants to be. Um, so we're going to like put his base on all of it, but definitely these recording sessions and the practices have been a lot of kind of that stuff that I've never got to do before in this band where I'm not just playing the bass on it and then going this is the part i wrote right i'm like okay this is what i'm playing here's your chance to do something cool that that you do that makes it something that is unique to you and makes the song a little different now that being said (laughs) if it gets way out of bounds i'm never uncomfortable going hey i don't like that (laughs) you know what i mean like you're doing way too much here or something or you're playing something weird here i don't like it um, but for the most part, you know, like he's, he's like spot on and his timing is fantastic. And the live show, the last, the only show we played with him was at Tony V's and it was just like, whoa. And he's like jumping off the riser, you know what I mean? And like yeah. jumping around and doing stuff. And like, we're just used to someone being a big dude who's like six, four, who's got his foot up on the monitor, kind of doing his thing. Jonathan's like a little dude. I don't know his, his, how high he is, but I'm 6'1", 6'2", on a good day. Jared's like 6'7". <laughs> Holy shit. And um, yeah, so like John, I think he's like 5'9", five, 5'10", five, something like that. So like he's small compared to us, but he's just like, he's bouncing around and energetic. And I'm just excited to have him in the band, you know? And um, so yeah, those those are the dudes that are in the band right now. And, and it's going really good. And the practices have been super fun. So I think it's going to bring that energy live too, which as a performer to me, that's something I look forward to is like that I think was missing in the last probably five Dramora shows or six Dramora shows that were noticeable that the vibe was different. You know what I mean? And it wasn't as like energetic as it was in the beginning. And now that John's back, it's like, it's kind of, or in the band, it's like, it's kind of like breathing that new vibe back in. I never lost it dude. Like I love playing music. Like anytime I get to do it, I lose myself in it. But I, I understand how you could, you could fall out of love with it. You know what I mean? Or something's happened in your personal life and you're just like, dude, this isn't as important to me as it was. Or, yeah, but yeah, I think sure. John's kind of that way too. It's like, he just loses himself and that's what we're looking for. <laughs> that's, that's the kind of people I want to surround myself with people who play music and it just captures them and they get lost and they have fun. And you know what I mean? So hopefully the next shows are even better than they've ever been. You know? Yeah. And do you have any shows on the calendar right now? 
We're going to play Plaid Pig this Saturday. Oh, shit. Okay. But this won't come out probably before then. But then um, we're getting another show. I think it's on the 27th of July. And it's okay. going to be for my buddy Germ. But then I think, like I said, the next thing that we do, I think it's going to be a showcase show. Hopefully it's like September. So we're going to take a month off. And, and I always do this whenever I do a showcase because I want like to not play any shows, come up with a new set, come up with something new, make it really as special as I can make it on my end of the deal, solidify like two other really good bands who are doing sort of the same thing, maybe a fourth band, probably not, and then make it special, you know, so I can get a good draw for one for the people who own the place, whoever it is, and I'm not playing a bunch of shows before then, but also to just make it a special event, you know what I mean? To make it really special, advertise it a lot, make sure everyone knows that it's it's a special thing. It's not a normal show. It's going to be different. And uh, I want to do that a couple times a year. So sometimes, you know, I just don't want it to fall on its face because we're playing four shows that month and then we're going to play a showcase. I want it to be like a month and a half or something, yeah. maybe September, October, maybe October. We get a place. We really put all of our effort into advertising it, getting it out there. And then everyone gets to benefit from that, you know, who wants to go to an empty show? <laughs> so, you know what I mean? But yeah, that, that's, that's the plan. Um, after this month, I think we take a month and a half off or you know, who knows, dude, I don't know. <laughs> that could change. I think the other plan is to play Oregon, play Idaho, play Montana, play yeah. Spokane, play California. We have some homies down in San Diego. So there won't be any places here. But, you know, so we don't wear out this market. But if we do get shows, they're probably going to be out of state if if we're kind of, I just don't want to trample on anything that we do here. Yeah. Awesome. Well, it sounds like you've got some some cool shit in the works and definitely some plans in your head. You've got a roadmap of kind of where you want to be, which I think puts you pretty far ahead of a lot of people out on the scene right now that are just day by day in it and hoping something fucking falls into their lap. It's the benefit uh, of being old, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you man. You start to plan stuff out. Okay? Oh, I know. I've only got two weeks left to live. So, you know, I, I got to get yeah, this show too. put out. <laughs> so awesome. Well, uh, hey, anything else that uh, you want to make sure we cover before I uh, let you get back to your day here? No, nah, man. Thank you so much for having me and uh, having a squirrely, weird conversation. I uh, enjoyed it. And um, yeah, man, just thank you for having me. And thank you, anybody who's listening. Go check out Six Sad World. Um, Last words, and I haven't done almost any promotion for that song, and not on purpose, but we just kind of didn't have a budget to really push it as hard as you know a record label would or something. People are listening to it, and I can see I can see the data. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I can see when something's doing well and when it's not. And last words has only been up for like a, a month or two, and it's hitting a thousand plays. Most yeah. of those plays are from Seattle and Vancouver, BC. And up right above us, uh, in like Alberta and those places, like in Canada, and then there's some in California and stuff. But I know it's all coming from right around here. So thank you to everyone who is listening to that and showing other people that stuff. But yeah, I'd like to see both of those songs over a thousand and not that less than a thousand mark. <laughs> we'll so, we'll uh, we'll help get you there for yeah, sure. Yeah, spin and it like seven times today. You know what <laughs> where I mean? is the uh, where is the best place to check out Dramora's music right now? Any place you can stream music is fine. Um, the Spotify one, I just, the most people have it. But yeah, it's everywhere. It's absolutely everywhere. It's even on YouTube music. If you have YouTube music, I know a lot of people are moving to that. 
It's even on Napster. So just that wherever you listen to music is fine. Just play it. I'm only joking about the streams thing, but it is funny that they try to pit us all against each other and feed that thing by making it embarrassing to not have a thousand streams on something, you know, get to get Terry, his 30 cent royalty check too. come on, man. (laughs) Come on. That'll help, uh, help go towards the, uh, the new rev rig. Uh, I need (laughs) some new guitar picks. I'm fucking running out here. Okay. Awesome. And make sure you follow Dramora on uh, the book of faces and on the Instagrams, all the social media platforms. Uh, Terry does some really awesome, cool guitar clips and amp rundowns and all that kind of cool shit to kind of keep you engaged. Some awesome, you know, song breakdowns from his solos that he plays. And it's just a really, really, really cool amount of content to kind of whet your appetite between the Dramora releases. So Terry, thank you so much for supporting the scene as well for hanging out with me on misery point radio for reaching out and uh don't forget to send me all all your songs as they come out and we'll pimp the shit out of it and and make sure that we uh saturate the airways for you fantastic man thank you so much all right brother and thanks as always to all of you out there in the wasteland for tuning in don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite streaming platform check out the website miserypointradio.podbean.com for all the interviews and go to misery point radio on the live 365 app to hear 24-7, 365 music from all the best in established and underground acts in rock, metal, punk, Americana, and more. Now here's Jamora one more time with last words. KFMP, Misery Point Radio. Misery Point Radio.